God is glorious in His saints. Welcome to the Christian Saints Podcast. My name is Darren Ong, recording from Sepang in Malaysia. In this podcast, we explore the lives of the Christian saints from the Anglican, Roman Catholic, and Eastern Orthodox traditions. Today, we will contemplate St. Gregory of Nyssa, a 4th century bishop and theologian. Gregory of Nyssa came from an illustrious Christian family. He is the younger brother of St. Basil the Great, one of the most important theologians of the early church. Three more saints, St. Peter of Sebaster, St. Macrina, and St. Naucratius, count among their siblings. Their parents, Basil the Elder and Emilia of Caesarea, were also recognized as saints. He is one of the Cappadocian fathers, together with his brother St. Basil and his friend St. Gregory of Nazianzus. The 4th century was an interesting time for the Christian faith. Julian the Apostate, the last pagan emperor of Rome, died in 363, and from this time on, the Roman Empire would be ruled by Christians. However, the Christian Church also struggled greatly with heresy in this era. There were several heretical schools of thought that flourished in this time, most prominently the Arian heresy. While Arianism was condemned in the First Council of Nicaea in 325, it was still very influential when the Cappadocian fathers were around. Arianism was a heresy that insisted that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was a created being, and therefore a lesser divinity, subordinate to God the Father. Gregory and the other Cappadocian fathers argued against these heresies, and so formulated the orthodox doctrine of the Holy Trinity that Christians believe today, clarifying that Jesus Christ, God the Son, had the same essence with God the Father. In the year 372, Gregory was made the Bishop of Nyssa. His brother, Basil the Great, was the one who consecrated him. He was, however, deposed twice by the machinations of the Arians. After the death of the Roman Emperor Valens, who had supported the Arians, Gregory finally had his bishopric restored to him for good. He worked tirelessly combating Arianism and other heresies, and was a driving force behind the Second Ecumenical Council in Constantinople, from which the version of the Nicene Creed we use today emerged. This creed reflected the theological efforts of Gregory and the other Cappadocian fathers in illuminating the truth of the Christian faith. I believe in one God, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, 
begotten of the Father before all ages, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not created, of one essence with the Father, through whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and became man. He was crucified for us under Pontius Pilate and suffered and was buried, and he rose on the third day according to the Scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come again with glory to judge the living and the dead. His kingdom shall have no end. And in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the Creator of life, who proceeds from the Father, who together with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who spoke through the prophets, in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church, I confess one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the age to come. Amen. Gregory of Nyssa's zeal in defending true Christian doctrine is evident in this letter he received from his brother St. Peter of Sebaste, which discusses the 300-page treatise Gregory wrote against Eunomius, an Arian thinker of their time. To his most pious brother Gregory, Peter, greeting in the Lord. Having met with the writings of your holiness, and having perceived in your tract against this heresy, your zeal both for the truth and for our sainted Father in God, I judge that this work was not due simply to your own ability, but was that of one who studied the truth should speak, even in the publication of his own views. To the Holy Spirit of Truth, I would refer this plea for the truth, just as to the father of lies, and not to Eunomius, should be referred this animosity against sound faith. Indeed, that murderer from the beginning, who speaks in Eunomius, has carefully whetted the sword against himself. For if he had not been so bold against the truth, no one would have roused you to undertake the cause of our religion, but to the end that the rottenness and flimsiness of their doctrines may be exposed, he who taketh the wise in their own craftiness hath allowed them both to be headstrong against the truth and to have laboured vainly on this vain speech. But since he that hath begun a good work will finish it, faint not in furthering the Spirit's power nor leave half-worn the victory over the assailants of Christ's glory, but imitate thy true father, referring to their brother Basil, who like the zealot Phineas, pierced with one stroke of his answer, both master and pupil, plunge with thy intellectual arm the sword of the spirit through both these heretical pamphlets, lest though broken on the head, the serpent affright the simpler sword by still quivering in the tail. When the first arguments have been answered, should the last remain unnoticed, the many will suspect that they still retain some strength against the truth. 
The feelings shown in your treatise will be grateful as salt to the palate of the soul. As bread cannot be eaten according to Job without salt, so the discourse which is not savoured with the inmost sentiments of God's word will never wake and never move desire. Be strong, then, in the thought that thou art beautiful example to succeeding times of the way in which good-hearted children should act towards their virtuous fathers. These questions about the nature of who Jesus is in relation to God the Father sometimes seem abstract, esoteric, and irrelevant to modern ears. But for St. Gregory and the other theologians and church leaders in the 4th century who combated these heresies, the question of who exactly Jesus is was fundamental. For instance, the true nature of Jesus played an important role in how Gregory viewed Christian salvation. It was important that Jesus was fully human, so he would truly share a nature with us human beings. But it was also important that Christ was fully divine, of the same essence with the Father, because it is through this divinity that the sin and brokenness of humanity is restored. Gregory speaks of his theology of salvation in his treatise titled On Perfection, and both the human and divine natures of Christ play an important role. The mediator between the Father and those who have lost their inheritance, as in James chapter 4 verse 4, speaks these words. He reconciled through his own person God's enemies to the true soul divinity. According to the prophetic word in Psalms 57 verse 4, men were alienated through sin from the life-giving womb and wandered from this womb in which they have been formed. They now speak lies instead of truth, because Christ received the first fruits of our common nature through his soul and body. He made it holy and kept it in himself as unmixed and uncontaminated with any evil. By offering the first fruits of our common nature through incorruptibility to the father of incorruptibility, he might draw all those of the same kin and race as in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, and adopt the disinherited and God's enemies to share his divinity. Just as purity and detachment united the dough's first fruit with the true Father and God, we, the mass of dough, should cling to the Father of incorruptibility by imitating the mediator's detachment and immutability as far as possible. We will be the crown of the only begotten God, made from precious stones, having become his honour and glory through our lives. Paul says, You have made him a little less than angels in Hebrews chapter 2 verses 7 to 9, through death's sufferings, after having transformed those of a thorny nature which resulted from sin. Christ fashioned a crown for himself through the dispensation of this death. He changed the thorn into honour and glory by his suffering.
Another well-known metaphor that St. Gregory of Nyssa uses to describe the process of Christian salvation is as apprentices imitating a master painter. A wonderful analogy that describes how by imitating Christ, we eventually express the image of the divine in our lives. Gregory emphasizes that this transformative process is gradual and requires a great deal of patience. I love this analogy because it strikes against this mistaken perception that people have about Christian practice, that by obeying Christ, you are giving up your freedom, you are missing out on living life to the fullness. On the contrary, this analogy emphasizes that by insisting on following our own way, we only create ugliness in our life. But when we imitate Christ, the master painter, only then can we express ourselves truly, and only then will true beauty emerge in our lives. In this way, Christian obedience is liberating rather than restrictive. This passage is again from his treatise on perfection. If we learn the art of painting, our teacher gives us a certain beautiful form on a tablet. Each person's painting must imitate that form's beauty so that all our tablets might share the model of beauty set before us. If each picture is one's own life, while the choice of this work is the artist's and the colours are virtues which express the image, there is a danger that the archetypal beauty's imitation can be remodelled into an ugly, deformed face. Instead of the Lord's form, we shadow it over with the marks of evil by means of unattractive colours. But it is possible for the virtue's pure colours, skillfully combined with each other, to imitate beauty that we might be an image of the image, expressing through our works the prototype's beauty by imitation. As it were, as Paul has done who had become an imitator of Christ by a virtuous life. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. If we must distinguish the colours in scripture which present an imitation of the image, one is humility. Learn from me, because I am meek and humble of heart. Christ says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29. Another color is patience. How is it manifested in the image of the invisible God? Swords and cudgels, chains and whips, blows on the cheeks, face spat upon, a wounded shoulder, a wicked judgment, harsh decree, soldiers enjoying their hostile remarks with mockery, sarcasm and blows from a reed. They offer him nails, gall, vinegar, and unimaginable horror, especially in exchange for his innumerable benefits. What defense do we have? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Luke chapter 23 verse 34 Was it impossible to rend heaven against them, to destroy their violence by splitting the earth open, to cast upon them a rain of fire as upon Sodom, and to bring grievous afflictions against them. But Christ bore these afflictions with meekness and patience, and gave you an example of patience for your life. By considering all the other aspects pertaining to the archetypal image of God, and by adoring oneself according to its splendid form, 
Patience expresses the invisible God's image. Gregory of Nyssa was known to be a very incisive and original thinker, and as a result his writings became very influential in the Christian church, especially in the East. Quite a few distinctive features of Eastern Orthodox thought and theology emerged from St. Gregory's writing. Gregory placed a lot of emphasis on the infinite nature of God and how human minds are not capable of fully grasping the concept of God. From his treatise against the heretic Eunomius, Now if anyone should ask for some interpretation and description and explanation of the divine essence, we are not going to deny that in this kind of wisdom we are unlearned, acknowledging only so much as this, that it is not possible that that which is by nature infinite should be comprehended in any conception expressed by words. The fact that the divine greatness has no limit is proclaimed by prophecy, which declares expressly that of his splendor, his glory, his holiness, there is no end. And if his surroundings have no limit, much more is he himself in his essence, whatever it may be, comprehended by no limitation in any way. If then interpretation by way of words and names implies by its meaning some sort of comprehension of the subject, and if, on the other hand, that which is unlimited cannot be comprehended, no one could reasonably blame us for ignorance, if we are not bold in respect of what none should venture upon. For by what name can I describe the incomprehensible? By what speech can I declare the unspeakable? Accordingly, since the deity is too excellent and lofty to be expressed in words, we have learned to honour in silence what transcends speech and thought. As a consequence from this emphasis on the infinitude of God, Gregory helped develop the via negativa, also known as apathetic theology. The via negativa is a theological principle that says we should only describe what God is not, since we are not capable of fully grasping what God is. By following this principle, we avoid being presumptuous in thinking we understand the deep things of God more than we are capable, and in humility acknowledge our human limitations. We then become more comfortable with the concept of mystery and do not expect to be able to explain every facet of Christianity using human logic from St. Gregory's Life of Moses. In my view, the definition of truth is this, not to have a mistaken apprehension of being. So whoever applies himself in quietness to higher philosophical matters over a long period of time will barely apprehend what true being is, that is, what possesses existence in its own nature, and that non-being is, that is, what is existence only in appearance with no self-subsisting nature. The divine word at the beginning forbids that the divine be likened to any of the things known by men, 
since every concept which comes from the comprehensible image by an approximate understanding and by guessing at the divine nature constitutes an idol of God and does not proclaim God. Gregory of Nyssa is also known as the first of the great Christian thinkers who condemned the practice of slavery. While there were many verses in the Bible that urged Christians to treat slaves well, for example, St. Paul's epistle to Philemon, St. Gregory was the first to explicitly condemn the institution of slavery. In his commentary on the book of Ecclesiastes, here, he discusses Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 7. I got me slaves and slave girls. Homebred slaves were born for me. Do you notice the enormity of the boast? The kind of language is raised up as a challenge to God. For we hear from prophecy that all things are the slaves of the power that transcends all. So when someone turns the property of God into his own property and arrogates dominion to his own kind so as to think himself the owner of men and women, what is he doing but overstepping his own nature through pride, regarding himself as something different from his subordinates? I got me slaves and slave girls. What do you mean? You condemn man to slavery when his nature is free and possesses free will and you legislate in competition with God, overturning his law for the human species, the one made on the specific terms that he should be the owner of the earth and appointed to government by the Creator, him you bring under the yoke of slavery, as though defying and fighting against the divine decree. The one made on the specific terms that he should be the owner of the earth and appointed to government by the Creator, him you bring under the yoke of slavery, as though defying and fighting against the divine decree. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Christian Saints Podcast. I hope you enjoyed learning about St. Gregory of Nyssa as much as I did. Look for the Christian Saints podcast page on Facebook or Instagram, or find us on Twitter at podcast underscore saints. All music in this episode was composed by my good friend, James John Marks of Generative Sounds. Please check out his music at https generativesoundsjjm.bandcamp.com. To end this episode, let us contemplate a liturgical hymn, what the Greeks call a kontakion, that Eastern Orthodox Christians sing to celebrate St. Gregory of Nyssa's feast day on January the 10th. You kept watch with the eyes of your soul, Holy Bishop, revealing yourself as a watchful pastor for the world. With the staff of your wisdom and your fervent intercession, you drove away all heretics like wolves. You preserved your flock free from harm. Most wise Gregory. Thank you.